you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning, we're going to talk in a sermon that's not part of a series, but just something that's been laid on my heart this morning to talk about as we prepare for this um, Christmas season. As we talked about or sang about already this morning, the expectancy with which we look forward to Christmas and the expectancy with which we look forward or the people of God look forward to Christ's coming, and that we look forward to Him coming again, centers around this idea that God had a plan from the very beginning. From the moment He said, let there be light, He had a plan that included Christmas. From the moment He formed the earth out of nothing, He had a plan that included Jesus. And what is interesting to me about that plan, because we like the highlights of that plan, and I love the story of the gospel from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation and Jesus' return. What's interesting about that is that in that plan, in that plan from the very beginning where he would reconcile a world he created unto himself, you and I have an integral part. You ever been entrusted with something? What does it mean to be entrusted with something? You've been given something to take care of, or someone's uh, given you something and said, hey, I'm going to trust you with this. Can you take care of it or manage it or keep it safe or something, right? Usually when you are entrusted with something, you treat it a little differently than if it's your own. You, You take a little better care. You work through it a little bit more. Well, one of the truths of the Christian experience is that we have been entrusted with the most important message that has ever been delivered. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we usually talk about, we talk about the gospel, we know that it means just good news. And good news here, when we talk about entrusted with the gospel, means that we have been given the opportunity to talk about this grand plan that God had to reconcile not just the world, but individuals to himself out of a world that he created that then rejected him. What I love about that graphic that you see on the screen is that it puts in bold red the most important part of the word entrusted. That it involves trust. Now, let's just be honest. If you had something really valuable and you were going to give it to someone to take care of it, wouldn't trust have to be a major part of your decision? Yeah. Um, the other uh, the other day, I have an iPad. You see me preach from it sometimes. And it's something that... Um, I got it as a Christmas gift last year, and I've taken really good care of it. And the kids always want to use it. And they want it all. When I walk in the door, Dad, did you bring your iPad home? Because there are games on it and different things they can do, educational things. And, you know, there's this uh, thing. When I give them my iPad to use, I have very specific rules. The other day, one of them was eating Cheetos and wanted to use the iPad. I said, no, no, you've got to finish what you're eating. They have to be sitting down 
and not stable. No moving around, no running around, no chasing each other with it, right? In fact, the other day I, I broke one of my own rules. I gave it to Maddie while she was standing outside and I had taken the cover off of it and guess what she did? Down it went. Had it for a year, not a scratch on it, now there's a little nick on the bottom corner of the screen. Now, here's the thing. If I'm that particular about how I entrust an electronic device to somebody, doesn't it amaze you that God entrusted us with the most important thing in the history of the world? I know you. Right? You know me. We know ourselves. I wouldn't think, boy, the most important thing in the world I think ought to be entrusted with. But the truth is God has done that. This morning, I want to look at a passage out of the writings of Paul where he talks about the burden that was there and using a word that we use all the time but rarely think about what it means, talk about what it looks like to be good stewards of the gospel. Because another understanding of the word being entrusted with something is to be a steward of something, to be a manager of something. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19, Paul says a phrase, really two phrases, that are going to couch the entire discussion we have today. And it says in verse 19, For although I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. Although I'm free from all people, I've made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. One of the interesting things here is Paul is speaking of the phrase or term freedom. You tell me, what does freedom mean? You just say freedom, that word. What's the definition of freedom? Do what you want. No restraint. Doesn't that describe Baptists? Just no restraint. Okay, maybe not. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right. What's that? Choice, ability to make a choice. Here are a couple of definitions. I just looked it up for you. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. It's interesting. Kind of, We hit that with the three of you put it together. We, we got that, all right? Here's another one. This is from Webster, I think. The absence of necessity coercion or constraint in choice or action. And one final one, um, it's just another word for nothing left to lose. Now, that's from the great philosopher Chris Christopherson, right? Um, the idea is that there are no restraints. Here's what happens here in the first part of chapter, or the first part of verse 19. Paul says, I am truly free. Now, we know that the gospel frees us. In fact, Scripture teaches us that if we have been freed by Christ, then we are free indeed. It says in the book of Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We are free. And what Paul is going to say at the beginning of this, and what we need to understand, and what the first thing I want to talk about, is that we have to be willing to embrace our freedom. 
When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you have been set free. You have been made right before the Lord. You have been exonerated of all charges. You have been made where it is is. You have never sinned before. You are truly free. Now, Paul is writing this in the midst of discussion in the book of 1 Corinthians where the people were upset with some of the things Paul was doing. In fact, Paul was being accused of being a flip-flopper. You know what a flip-flopper is, right? That's not somebody that wears flip-flops, right? That's somebody that changes their mind, right? And in modern politics in America, one of the worst things you can be labeled is flip-flopper. It means you don't have a spine. It means you don't have a backbone. It means you don't stand for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. We've got to be right. We can't, can't be changing our minds all the time. And the people were saying to Paul, Paul, you change your mind all the time. You know what Paul says? Yeah. You see, the issue there were several issues, but the one he's dealing with immediately comes in the chapter before this where Paul said, listen, I have the right, if I want to, to eat anything I want to eat. The issue was food sacrificed to idols. And he said, listen, I could eat it all day long because it's not really anything. There are no idols. So if it's sacrificed to an idol, it doesn't mean anything. But I choose not to eat it. I could, but I don't. It's all right to if you want to, but you probably shouldn't. Although you can if you want to, but try not to. Right? And he says that kind of over and over again. He sounds almost like a really good politician at times. He tells both sides what they think they want to hear. And people were upset with Paul and saying, Listen, what are you talking about? How do we, how do we nail this down? We need some rules here. We need some regulations. And Paul's answer basically is, I'm free. We like rules and regulations, don't we? We like barriers. We like guidelines. We like to know where we fit and what is right and what is not. And the thing about the gospel is when it truly takes a hold of our lives, it frees us. Someone has said that faith that does not free us is a false faith. And a church that binds people instead of freeing them is not a true church. Paul says, I am free from all people, from everyone, from all things. The idea here is that there is nothing, because of what Christ has done to us, done for us, that is limiting in how we could live. Just some things Paul had been freed from. Now, Specifically here, this is interesting, he was saying he was free from people because he hadn't taken any of the Corinthian money. All right, But it's also this effects of culture that he had, this sense of exclusivity that he grew up in, in the Jewish faith, that the only ones that were able to experience the goodness of God were those people who were God's people who were living exactly like God intended for them to live at all times. He was free from the expectations of his peers. He was free from the personal ambition that saw him climb the rakes and persecute Christians. He was free from the fear of failure. He was free from the intimidation of his enemies. He was free in Christ to live boldly, passionately, without restraint for the glory of God. And he loved it and he celebrated it. 
When's the last time you embraced your freedom in Christ? Enjoyed life in Christ. You know, Scripture teaches us that Christ exalts in us, rejoices in us, celebrates us. So how much more should we celebrate Him? When's the last time you were part of a really good party for God? Just a celebration without restraint. One of the things that my kids continually remind me of is they haven't grown up enough to know that you have to restrain yourself. We got home last night. We we were in Jackson and Dyersburg over the weekend. And we got home yesterday afternoon and we were, Susan and I were tired. And Luke apparently was not. And so we're sitting down, and Susan and I are just discussing how in the world we're going to get these kids in bed at 4.30 in the afternoon for the night. You know? You know those discussions that you know aren't going to go well. And Luke comes in a full sprint up the steps, straight across the room, jumps as high as he can, and lands on the couch and goes, Just no restraint. Do you remember what it was like to live without restraint? Without worry about what people would think or what would happen? Paul says, I am free from all people. One of the things, if we're going to fully embody the gospel as it has been entrusted to us, is we have to embrace the freedom that it brings. Without embracing the freedom and the joy the gospel brings, it is not attractive at all to a watching world. Paul says the first thing I do is I embrace the freedom. The second thing is he rejects his freedom. Classic flip-flop right there, right? I am free from all people. So what does he do? What does he do? Makes himself a slave to all. What people do with the freedom they are given is an excellent test of maturity. Right? How people handle freedom is an excellent test of their maturity. And I love what Paul does here. He says, I've made myself a slave to all. Now, in case people wonder, what are you talking about? He says, to the Jews I become like a Jew. In other words, when I'm around Jewish people, I follow kosher laws. I make sure I follow all of the things. I'll even sacrifice. I'll do things that Jews do. Why? In order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I myself am no longer under the law. And you can almost hear him say, Praise be to God. But when I'm around those under the law, I put myself under the law. To those outside the law, like one outside the law. Not being outside God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Do you realize how much people would get just obliterated if the politician said, I'm just going to be all things to all people so that I may by all means save some. Now, I don't do this because of any other reason except the gospel. 
that I may become a partner in his benefits. I want you to understand the radical thing Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, I am free to do whatever I please. And the way that I'm going to use my freedom to do whatever I please is to become a complete servant to everyone. Now, servanthood is one of those things we love to talk about and analyze and say is a great thing. But to actually serve is a different thing. Servanthood is one of those theological concepts that we would all say, that is absolutely what Scripture teaches. But then when we're asked to serve, well, now, that's somebody else's place. Being a servant is more than writing a check or filling a pew or coming to a meeting. It is getting your hands dirty in a messy world where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't take it to them and show them, they won't get it. It means lowering ourselves beyond what we think is acceptable behavior in servicing people. It means putting ourselves below others even though we are free in Christ. When is the last time in humility you served someone that thought differently than you, that looked differently than you, that believed differently than you? And by serve, I don't mean... I said hello and have a good day. Paul says, to the Jews I become a Jew. To those that are under the law, I become like one under the law. To the ones that are not under the law, I act like one not under the law. And to the weak, I become weak. All because God has entrusted us with this gospel and it is our job, our responsibility to take it to people. In fact, in verse 16, we're jumping back a little bit. I want you to see this. He says, if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. The basic idea is I have been coerced into telling people about Jesus. And woe to me if I don't preach it. The idea is, listen, the Lord has so captured my life that if I do anything but tell the gospel, then I am denying the very thing for which God has created me. I have been compulsed. I have been made. I have been told. I have been forced to tell the gospel. In fact, if you live a life where you don't feel compelled to tell people about Jesus, you need to check whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. Because every time Paul talks about it, he said he has been compelled. He has been forced because of the love that Christ has shown for us. And the way that we do that is we reject the idea that our freedom somehow gives us the opportunity to not tell people about Jesus or not to live a life dedicated to Him because our freedom only gives us the opportunity to do those things. Look at verse 24 and following. We're going to finish with this. Paul talks about one of the ways he rejects this freedom is to discipline himself. He says, do you not know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable one. Anybody watch any football this weekend? I watched some football yesterday. There's some Alabama fans a little excited. They're back in the national championship race. You know, 
God and I are going to have a talk about how much he blesses the Alabama Crimson Tide when we get to heaven. But what's interesting is, in the spring of the year, right, they start football practices for the next year. And in the fall, they all have one goal in mind, to be the last team standing. Right? 119 teams or so. One team standing. And in about a week, we'll be down to two. We know who one of them is going to be. And the other one's going to be from pretty close to here. But at the end of the year, how many teams get the trophy? One. Now, Paul's point here is not, hey, listen, all of you live a good Christian life. When we get to heaven, there's only going to be one winner. What he's saying is, Live your life as if you were doing everything you can to win the race. And he says athletes discipline their bodies. Watching the Olympics this year, hearing stories of people that had worked for 10 years for a 30-second race. Think about that. You work, uh, I followed the, the story of the Olympic hurdler, Lolo Jones, who's a, a believer and Got some bad press because of that. She, she was told four years ago she'd never make it back. And she was determined to make it back. And in her 30-second race, she finished fourth. Four years to be the fourth best in the world and to be the first one without a medal. Train. Live. Subjugate your body to discipline, to be the one that receives. And he says, listen, these athletes, and by the way, we know about the Olympic Games, the second most important games in their day were riding Corinth. He said, just like those people, they do it just to get a wreath around their head, a medal around their neck. We do it for one that can't even be described. Verse 23 sums up the reason he does it all. He says, I do it all because of the gospel. That I may be a part, basically what he says, in sharing it with the world. Can I ask you a question? How have you handled the trust God has placed in you with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How have you handled having the opportunity to tell people about Him. Listen, we live in a day and age when we have more opportunity than anybody has ever had. I introduced Gil a few minutes ago, and I couldn't help but think just seeing him, how many generations of Christians have gone without ever thinking of being able to fly down to Brazil for a week, share the gospel with hundreds of people, thousands over the times that I've been there, come back home, and get to be a part of that. You know how I used to have to get to Brazil? You had to get on a boat. Take a few weeks to get down there. And you've never had the opportunity to go like you have now. Ever. Have you gone? You've never had the opportunity to give like you do now. Through our Christmas offering, Lottie Moon Christmas offering we do at the church. Through Operation Christmas Child through what we're doing next Sunday night with our 
uh, missions dinner that all of you need to be a part of and to be there. You're going to have an opportunity to impact the lives of people in parts of the world that we didn't even know about a hundred years ago. Have you given? And I don't mean a token gift. I mean a sacrificial gift. You generations have never been able to pray as informed as we can pray today. Have you prayed? This morning, my question is, how have you done with the trust God has placed in you with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together.